To the Mary Mac Show, where we will be talking about your feelings, experiences, and pain following the death of a loved one. everyone. This is Mary Mack of The Mary Mack Show. And I am privileged today to have a wonderful woman who has endured immense sorrow, immense pain with the death of her young son. Luger was seven years old when he was diagnosed with cancer and he died at the age of 11. What I I'm doing with this series, and this series is for bereaved mothers who have lost children at all ages. And today we speak with Carol Ann as the section for the death of a young child. So Carol, I am so pleased that you are with us. You are from Franklin, Wisconsin, and she is married to Bob. And she has two other daughters who are Mara and Nina. And when Mara was 17 and Nina was 15, Luca passed on. We also have an author here. So she's written a wonderful book called Luca's Light. And we'll introduce that to you at the end of our conversation. But I'd like to introduce Carol Ann and thank her for being on here today. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to share our story. Luca was a very special kid, um, as all parents think their children are. But uh, I think we had a we had a little extra special kiddo that we were only given for eleven years. But we we sure made the most of it. Please tell us about life before Luca passed okay. on, or before even that he was diagnosed. How was your family life and everything moving forward and never a care? Yeah, we were a pretty typical family of five, two girls, and then Luca was the baby, the only boy and, and the baby. So he was, he's a little spoiled probably, um, <laughs> but we were very, very typical, you know, busy with, with sports. Um, Luca and Mara both played soccer. Nina, not as much of an athlete, but she ended up finding swim and loved to do that. You know, keeping busy with school things. We were part of our, we are Croatian. And so we have a very big Croatian community that we are part of. Um, so the girls, Bob and I actually both are Croatian and we met at our church when we were small kids. So we had, a, oh we have a long history goodness. together. 
ourselves. Mm -hmm. So the girls, you know, we girls participated in a in a cultural music and dance group. So we were always busy with that. Luca Luca ended up having a year with that with them. Just uh, you know, we we're typical. I would say very very typical. And and up until Luca was sick, we we didn't have too many cares. We like you said, we we were going along. We thought quite nicely and. Our faith was also, I should say that our step back and say our faith was also a big part of our life. We were, we both raised Catholic. We raised our children Catholic, went to school or went to church weekly and thought we had a good relationship with God and a good trust in, in what he was doing with our life until, until (laughs) tragedy hit. And then that, that shook things up a little bit. (laughs) Yes. Usually um, does, doesn't it? Yes. Especially it shakes up your faith. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And then I, another part of our story is that Luca, when before he was born, so we had Mara and Nina, when Nina was about two and a half, I got pregnant again. And this was before Luca. Okay. So I, I ended up having a miscarriage. So this actually, so before Luca was sick, this was probably our first little hiccup. At 16 weeks, third baby, I thought, you know, this I wasn't worried about it. I, I was feeling good and had no cares. Bob actually had a meeting and couldn't come with me to an appointment. But I, again, thought, you know, third pregnancy, I'm going to go to this appointment and it'll all be fine. But it wasn't. I was having an ultrasound or actually just looking for the heartbeat, not even an ultrasound. And there was no heartbeat to be found. So then we had an ultrasound and it confirmed that the baby had, had died in your utero. We don't know know why there was no reason but we I I was too far enough along that it wasn't just a typical I guess miscarriage I had to deliver the baby and we found out that it was a boy so we we went in delivered our son got to see him hold him and then had to leave without him and so I thought at that point that was going to be the hardest thing that I'd ever have to do Um, and sadly Sadly, it wasn't. So then the next year we did get pregnant again. Luca was born um, the following year. So that it was it was a little bit of, I think, foreshadowing. You know, when these type of things happen, you always wonder why. You want the reason. You look for answers. Um, but we often, obviously, we often don't get them. You know, and we don't, especially this side of heaven, right? We don't, we don't, no. uh, we don't always get to know why things happen the way they do. But I, I, I feel like that I, I learned later that there was a purpose for that, for that little boy. That the fact that I knew it was a boy. So when Luca was a little side story with that, when Luca was about two years old, this kid was a precocious talker. For two years old, he actually had barely any teeth. He got his teeth very late, but talked up a storm. And <laughs> he, the girls were were starting school and they were getting on the bus to go to school. And he, of course, says that, you know, his siblings, younger siblings always want to do, they want to get on the bus and go to school too. So he had this thing with the bus, right? So he took a nap one afternoon when the girls were at school and he woke up and he was telling me, mom, my brother was on the bus <gasps> and I, and I said, your brother was on the bus. And I, and he said, yeah. And I, he said, it was time to get off. You know, he's telling me this in his two-year-old words, but it was very clear. He said, I told him it's time to get off. We're home. And he said, I can't get off. The, the brother, brother told me he had to stay on the bus. Wow. So I immediately was like, oh boy, he's, he's meeting his brother. And of course he was two. We never told him that we had miscarried and had, you know, that he had a brother in heaven. I mean, you don't 
tell those things to a two-year-old, you know. Right. But I right away just got the chills and thought, oh my goodness, you know, he 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 his brother came and played with him in his nap, you know, and this happened more than once. It happened a couple times over a period of of some weeks. So I thought that was kind of a, a cool thing, but a little, you know, it was, I just thought it was sweet that he had a guardian angel. At the time. At the time. Yes. So uh, then when, when Luca got sick, that unfortunately was one of the first things that came into my head as I was sitting in one in, in the waiting room when we had first found out and we were meeting with the neurologist, I was, my mom was sitting with me uh, because Bob unfortunately, again, was out of town for work and he doesn't even travel that much, but it always just seemed to happen that when we have these crazy things happen, the poor guy had to drive home from somewhere with bad news, you know? So anyway, the day that Luca was diagnosed, Bob was about two and a half hours away for work. And my mom was sitting with me and I, as we were waiting for him to come and for our meeting, I had a flashback of that little encounter that Luca had with his brother. And I was thinking, oh no, oh no. You know, I I wanted to convince myself that it was a good thing that his brother was going to be his guardian angel and everything was going to be okay and things were going to work out. But I think right away on that day, I think I had a pit in my stomach that was telling me otherwise, that maybe that little brother was there to be somebody that he would know when he, when he, went to heaven. So I, I, that was a crazy little, crazy little, uh, I don't know if it was foreshadowing or just, you know, crazy little story, part of our story, but that, that was, that was just, I don't know. I, I, like I said, I tried to push that down deep and not pretend that it was that I, that I was having the bad thoughts and just going with the fact that maybe this was going to be a a guardian angel for Luca. Would Um, you tell us the story of how, of, of what he went through? with the illness and how Mm -hmm. brave he was going through all of this, because this was like a four year event of him being ill. Yep. So right after his seventh birthday, um, his birthday is in May. And at the very beginning of June, uh, after he turned seven, we thought he just had a virus. We thought he maybe had a sinus infection or an ear infection, something because he was very congested and he would vomit in the morning, but then he would feel fine. And so we, we it was about a week and a half of this. You know, we, we took him into the pediatrician. They said, yeah, it's probably just a virus. Then the next weekend in between, he he was really sick, like vomiting a lot, not able to keep anything down. So my husband took him into urgent care and they said, yeah, it's probably all again, just part of this virus. They actually gave him some Zofran to stop the vomiting and it helped, got a little bit better. But then by the next week, one day, uh, this is when Bob left for out of town. Uh, <laughs> Luca was, was he, and he even said, he even said, I feel bad leaving. And I said, ah, he'll be fine. He woke up. He was feeling, you know, he, he was better yesterday, went to school. He, he was, he, you know, he's going to be fine. Well, Bob left and Luca woke up for school that morning and right away, like something wasn't right. And he, and then all of a sudden he was just crying and said, my, my head really hurts. It hurts bad. He threw up again. So I took him back to the pediatrician and the doctor, when she looked at him, I think she knew. So at this point with like, again, about a week and a half time, it was very quick. The whole turnaround of this, he had like, you could almost see a little bit of a droop on the right side of his face. And I, it wasn't so profound, like 
you would think in a, in a, you know, as a, you see somebody with a stroke or, or something, but it was, I thought, you know, it was just more puffiness or congestion because it, you know, it wasn't that much and mm-hmm. you're not going there yet. You know, as a mom, right. I was, you know, always worried, but I wasn't thinking anything more than this is just a, still a bad virus, but right. the pediatrician kind of looked and she, I could tell she was like, she was, she was, she actually said, maybe it's Bell's palsy, um, something wow. like that, that in that, Again, you only hear that, or you mostly hear that in grownups, right? You don't. Yes, exactly. I've never known a child. child. Yeah. Right. So she said, you know, we can't, don't want to diagnose this in the office. Um, Just to rule everything out, I'm going to send you to Children's Hospital for an MRI. And so I was thinking, okay, that seems a little extreme. Like she did, but I thought, well, of course, let we want to rule everything out and and deal with what we need to deal with. I was thinking maybe it was going to be an invasive sinus procedure or something, you know, that's still the most that I was going, going for, but she didn't even have us go home. She called and made the appointment right away for us and had us go directly to. So she, she knew her gut told her something wasn't um, right. Something wasn't right. So we went off to children's and, and uh, he had an MRI right that day. And sure enough, they found a large, fairly large mass like right butted up against his brainstem. So it was called posterior fossa ependymoma. <laughs> fancy. Wow. For fancy you to be word. able to say all of that, right? Ugh. Yeah. Never wanted to know that word. Never wanted to hear that word. But yeah, it, it, it was a nasty cancer, a nasty tumor that we would learn didn't respond well to chemo. Um, the best bet for the best prognosis was if you could have a full resection, total resection of the of the tumor. And because of the location of Lucas, we knew that wasn't going to happen. If they were were to aggressively remove the whole tumor, Luca, as we knew him, would not be the same. Uh-huh. So he would his quality of life would be gone. So we we meaning it was affecting cranial nerves that, it being so close to the brainstem, he likely would not have been able to eat. He wouldn't have been able to oh. swallow on his own. Those are, you know, the basic functions. Everyday of life. life. Um, yeah. Would be affected. Yeah. So as it was the first major resection, he lost hearing on the right, in the right ear total. Um, it, Cause that nerve was severed. Um, his eye didn't move past his right. eye didn't move past center any longer and he couldn't fully close it. Also lost the ability to tear. So his eye was sort of, you know, in a little jeopardy. We we did have issues um, later down the road as well because it couldn't protect itself. Essentially, if something was in his eye, he couldn't feel it. And then his eye didn't tear to to naturally dispel of whatever the little, you know, duster object would be. So he, it was, it was a mess. Uh, We didn't know it at first, but we, that was, would come to be another little thing. Was he able to blink? I mean, could he use? He, he did blink, but it didn't fully close. So it wasn't like a, it wasn't a full, like even when he slept, we ended up later on having to tape his eye closed every night mm-hmm. because it it stayed open. And so then that just would let it would dry out. And then if if any dust, you know, just any particles that would come into his sure. eye, he wouldn't expel it naturally. And it would irritate his cornea eventually. So we learned later. And I don't even think our doctors realized, you know, it was such a strange little side effect that I don't even think our doctors 
knew to look for that at first until we had some issues with his with his eye right. and, and the cornea becoming infected. So that was that was a that ended up to be sort of a a little pain in the butt that we had to worry about along the way. Also, he lost the the right vocal cord was paralyzed. So that not only affected he, he still could speak. Luckily, he still was had enough closure that he could produce his voice and we could he, you know, sometimes maybe you'd be a little bit more raspy, a little bit, you know, not as strong. But the main problem with the vocal cord being paralyzed was also that it affected his swallow because you need the vocal cords to folds to close properly to get a safe swallow. So in the beginning, after the first surgery, he couldn't have liquids for a little while. Um, And he actually ended up with a nasogastric tube, feeding tube, because he just wasn't strong enough to, to eat safely. So that was that luckily um, did get better after the first surgery. And he we had actually um, he had an injection in that vocal cord to plump it up. (laughs) It was like basically like a collagen injection to plump it up so he could achieve closure to safely swallow. So that was he had a little bit of speech therapy to to work on the swallowing and we had to use these little methods where he had to turn his head to the side and and make sure he chewed real carefully and and cleared all his swallows and so he 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 did go through some some rehab in the beginning there but um we were so grateful that that wasn't a long-term problem when i say long-term meaning the next four years you know that he could still eat and enjoy food and drink without having to thicken everything and, and, and change up his diet too much. So, so even though we had a lot of, he did end up with, you know, some pretty good deficits. He, he was able to compensate for so much of it. And we were so fortunate that his body responded well to everything we did to help him through these, you know, the, the little obstacles, Uh um, that made such a difference. We were able to still, he, like I said, I think we, you know, we had to decide early on that we wanted to preserve the quality of life. Yeah. So instead of just saying, take it all out and not knowing how that would leave Luca, we wanted to give him as much time that he could still enjoy things that the girls could still enjoy their brother, that he could still do what he's supposed to do as a seven-year-old boy. So our our surgeon was excellent and shared very honestly with us that he, you know, he, that, he, that he felt that was important and he felt that he would, each surgery that he would end up doing, he would be as aggressive as he could while preserving as much quality of life as he could for Luca. So we were, we were very thankful for that. And we had a really awesome neurosurgeon. I can't say enough about him. We had such a great team at Children's in in Wisconsin, Children's Hospital. Um, It just, when your child is sick, you just can't, you you can't imagine, you know, you you need to be able to trust the people that you're, that you're working with. And and we were lucky enough to have a great team at Children's. Can I ask you, Carol, how far away was the Children's Hospital from where you live? That's funny that you that you asked that because in in the book I actually have a part of a chapter that talks about all the different blessings that we had along the way and that was actually one of my subtopics was the blessing of having 
the best medical care in our backyard. So we're, we're in Franklin, Wisconsin, which is all part of Milwaukee County. I'm sure a lot of people aren't so familiar with Wisconsin, but um, Wauwatosa is where Children's Hospital is, but it's still in Milwaukee County. So we're literally like 15 minutes away. Oh my um, God, that's wonderful. Expressway. So we were so lucky because along the way we met folks who had to drive hours you yes. know, to get to the hospital. And so that, you know, every time you leave, it's so, it was so nerve wracking because you're going home again with your child and you don't know what to expect at any moment. You feel like you could have, you know, the floor drop from under you and ha- knowing that we were so close was such a blessing. It was, we were so, that, so fortunate not- to have such a great facility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We would end up, we would end up doing some traveling. That was another part of our, our journey after the, the tumor kept growing back. Right. So we call it like a recurrence. Um, but technically it wasn't necessarily a recurrence. We would take out as much as we could. He had radiation. We would throw a little chemo at it in hopes to kind of keep it at bay. But as it, as our luck would have it each year, the tumor grew back. Um, and it would, it would basically be in the same spot, but it, it was, it, it was not good. So the more this happened, the more we knew this was Luca's particular subtype of ependymoma, because even in a category of these tumors, there's so many different variations. And oh, wow. of course, each person reacts differently to the different treatments. Mm-hmm. So um, they did a lot of study on this tumor. It's I, I didn't even keep it all in my brain, to be honest with you. I, I, it was too much, you know, you yes, never absolutely. know all that medical information and, and all you care about is tell me, is this going to work for him or not? <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Better. And how, how so, much of quality of life will he have, you know? Right. Right. And that's the thing. And he, he, as a, you know, he was such an, he just always such an active, energetic kid. He, he wasn't really a, he was not a couch potato. He was an outside boy. You know, he, he loved to do everything that young boys would do outside in the mud, playing soccer, playing basketball, <laughs> football, any sport, really. So we knew that it would really, it would kill him essentially anyways, if if he couldn't do anything anymore, you know, with his friends, with, as he, with his sisters. So yeah, we, we definitely kept that in mind all along the way. But uh, so now I'm now I'm getting a little bit sidetracked, but um, no, it's OK. He, Was he able to get back into some of his activities after the different surgeries? Like, could he play soccer again? He actually did. This kid, we, we would joke. We would come to joke that he was good at brain surgery. <laughs> he, <laughs> he really was. I, you know, even even coming out of the anesthesia and stuff, the, the first the first major surgery he had was right around his sister's birthday. And he was telling as he as they were bringing him out, you know, before we even got to see him, he was telling um, one of the doctors or the nurses that were with him that it was his sister's birthday. And sure enough, it really was his birthday. So they're like, wow. well, he's passing those first neuro checks as he wakes up. He knows where he is. He knows what day it is. <laughs> so he was, he, he was, it was fun that way. He, he liked to kind of impress his, his caregivers. <laughs> That's great. But he, yeah. And he always did. He always did bounce back well from the surgeries and we were able to get 
discharged and bring them back home. And because we did try an inpatient chemo, a pretty intensive chemo the first year or the first summer, the first few months, they were really hoping that it would help debulk the tumor in the beginning and it didn't. So after that, we really didn't have a whole lot of hospital time being hooked up to chemotherapies because we knew that that wasn't, it wasn't going to help as much as it would probably hurt him. So we, in that way, I mean, we were, we were very fortunate that between these surgeries, we could still do so much. And he still had the heart things. He still energy to do things. And he most importantly, probably had the will to do it. He really didn't want to just sit around and, and feel sorry for himself. He never wanted attention for it. He just wanted to keep going business as usual. One of the, one of the funny stories that when he first went back to school that first summer, so we did do chemo. So he lost all his hair. He was on steroids. So he was totally puffy, like you unrecognizable, like puffed up. Mm -hmm. Um, And he had a feeding tube in his nose. And so one day it was, it was getting close to the start of school. And he heard Bob and I talking something about the girls starting school. And he said, well, what about me starting school? I'm starting school. And we kind of looked at each other and we thought, Oh, buddy, you know, I can't go to school like this. We thought maybe we would keep him home until the the feeding tube at least came out and, you know, uh, until he got a little bit stronger, but he didn't care what he looked like. He didn't, it didn't seem to bother him, but you know, I, I was a little worried at how the kids would, would react to him because it was scary. It was not the same kid that they saw leave the, you know, the June that, that end of the year before that, that, that same June. So luckily we had really, really awesome people at our school, at our elementary school. And we had a nurse, a district nurse who helped navigate this whole process of him coming back. And she actually met with his class before he came. Oh, and wow. They all, they all knew that he was sick because it happened at the end of the year before. So they all knew he had a brain tumor, but she explained to them how he was going to look the, you know, some of the deficits that he had, that he was going to have to be careful that he had no hair, you know, he had big scars on his head and they were awesome. They were wonderful. I that was so, so great. Amazed. And these are these, they were now second graders, you know, and he just came in there like, what? Like nothing was wrong with him. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm was, back. <laughs> yeah. What are you looking at? I'm fine. You know? Yeah. And that's, that's kind of how he was. He just uh, wanted to keep, he never wanted to stay home from school more than he had to. So he, he wanted to be back into the business of things, get me back. So that year he did actually end up playing soccer again. He played a little, he was played a little bit that spring, that fall. Um, but then unfortunately the next year when the growth came back, it happened again, right at the beginning of a season. So he, at that point, then we didn't, he didn't go back only, only just, you know, maybe for a practice here or there, if he wanted to run with the kids a little bit, but not, not as part of the team. So unfortunately soccer, that his soccer career did, did end, but, but he took up golf. So this was the kind of, <laughs> That's funny. This is the kind of kid that would find the next thing. And he, he would look stuff up and be like, okay, I, maybe I should try this, you know, so yeah, maybe so I could do this. Golf. And so Bob loved to golf. And so he was more than happy to get him some clubs and, and, teach him how to golf. And, and they, they, that was something that they did up until close to the very end. So um, that was Lucas spirit. He, if he couldn't do one thing, he just kept going. He would find the next thing that he could, you know, that could entertain him, that could fill his time, that could challenge him. You know, he liked to 
he would he would sometimes even say, I have to keep my brain sharp. <laughs> I can't just I can't just you know, sit here and do nothing. I have to keep my brain sharp. So I, that's I, I, really I, nice. And the, I was going to say that it must have been some wonderful times for your husband to bond with him. Oh know? my gosh! You know, I I, have, I can't give Bob enough credit for the, how much he did. Even even before Luca was sick, I mean, they they were guys, right? They did stuff together. The girls and that we all did stuff together, and the girls and I did things, but he just, he, you know, there's, there was just a special bond and they, they did so much together. And once Luca got sick, I think that was Bob's mission was to give him as many experiences as he possibly could. And not just, not just that, but to have us all have that, you know, the experiences together and, and have the time we, we traveled as much as we could. We, we, we just, pack the kids up in the, in our truck and we we would take road trips you know on spring breaks and things and anytime he was feeling good we 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 tried to make the most of the time but yeah bob bob um definitely did more probably with his son in his 11 years than some people do in their whole lifetime you know yes. and, I, and that is a gift that we had um knowing that that our time was was likely limited. Of course, we always hoped for a miracle and we were always hoping that the next surgery would, would bring us a miraculous cure, you know? Um, and we also tried alternative medicines. We tried all kinds of things. We, we didn't want to leave any stone unturned. We, we wanted to know that we threw everything at, at Luca as much as he would want as much as he tolerated. But I think knowing we just had, we just had, we were blessed with the time knowing, you know, that, that we did as much together as a family in the time that we had. And what a blessing, what a blessing that is for sure. It's, mm-hmm. it's a great feeling to know that you don't have any regrets about that. Yep. Yep. Wonderful. And, you know, because life has too many questions, you know, there's, there, as, and as parents, we question everything we do with our kids, right? I mean, that's just, it's what just the way it is. Because you, yeah, you want to keep them healthy. You want to keep them safe. And there are some times when you just can't, and that sucks. It really, to be blunt to that, just plain, it does. you know, it's, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. But by the grace of God, we still sit here and, yeah. and persevere. And that is definitely something I learned from this boy of mine. He he did not give up. And I, I always think in the back of my head, he'd be disappointed in me if I did. So, <laughs> <better> not. <laughs> uh-huh. And tell me about your girls. How did they deal with all of this when he was ill? You know, just like what I said about Bob, I, I'm so proud of my girls. They, you know, they were so patient and so understanding. They could have, and they were teenagers. That, Like I said, when he got sick, they were fifth and sixth grade. Mara was just leaving the elementary school, going into into middle school. You know, those are odd years, tough years for girls as it is. Yeah. Much less to have a little brother who's, you know, dealing with cancer and a brain tumor. And um, they, but they, they were steadfast as well. They, they kind of followed his lead. They, they kept to their studies. They never, their grades never dipped. They, they didn't look for excuses to not do their things mm-hmm. because, you know, they, they could have easily got a knot of a lot of things just saying, well, sure. My brother's sick. You know I mean? They could yeah. have used that as an excuse. They really didn't. I have to give them so much credit. Um, and, and Bob and I, we, I remember specifically sitting down 
at one point shortly after Luca was diagnosed and saying, we need to do whatever possible to keep their lives as normal as possible, you know, yes. and, and we were, we were fortunate to have family and friends close by that jumped in to help us, whether it was taking them to their practices for their sports and, and things, you know, just to not have them miss things. We didn't want him, them to resent Luca either for right. them losing their childhood, you know, them use, losing, right. we didn't know how many years this was going to go on for. Sure. And, you know, that was another thing I think that kept me going was they need to know that their mom is also still here for them. You know, it, it just because, not just because that sounds flippant, but, you know, they need me too. They need us too. They need they need to still have their lives as much as possible. I didn't want them to look back at this and, and resent their brother in any way. You know, they knew it wasn't his fault. They know that nobody was making these choices, but they're kids. Yeah. They were kids. And of course, you know, that, that, that's just going to be a natural feeling, but, but they, they were, they really never verbalized that if they did feel those things, they never threw it at us. They never threw it at Luca. They were, they were so great. And, and they all throughout, they tried to spend as much time with him as they, as they could um, in whatever capacity, whether it was at the hospital when he was there or, or just home, they would try to do things to keep him busy as much as possible when he was, you know, especially as he was able to do less and less of his own, of his own activities, but they're, they're really great. Things could have gone, you know, way worse with the girls. I, I I always tell people, you know, I, they could have been angry. They could have really struggled with so many different things, but they stayed true to who they were and they stuck to their activities. They didn't give up on things that they wanted to do. And and they they succeeded. They're they're now doing really well in college. Mara is uh, a junior, and she's studying um, business, uh, hospital administration. Um, oh, and wow. she was on a pre pre PT pre physical therapy track. We're not sure if that's still going to be what she's going to do, but she um, wants to do something in in the hospital world, which I think that's is wonderful. Cool. And um, Nina also Nina wants to be a child life specialist. Um, wow. And that is a that is something very very specific and very much uh, we only knew what that was because of the time we spent at Children's. So, um, <laughs> because child life specialists tried to keep her busy and her brother busy, and and so that's now what she wants to do. And she's very involved. She's volunteering at Children's Hospital right now um, weekly. Wow. She drives in from school to do that. So it's it's a very cool thing. They're both you know carrying out. I think some of their brother's spirit and, and, and wanting to help. And, and they're, they're not afraid to use their story to now go forward and, and use that to, you know, to, to, to affect, to, to contribute to their futures as well. And to so many other people that are going to be blessed by their stories. Oh, that's, that's our hope. That is, that is what um, just makes make that could make me want to cry right now, because I, I really think that, you know, I mean, we have something to back up our our talk, right? We know how it feels. We know what people might need or not need, and and just you just I think like we said in the beginning, you just have a different empathy and a different way to hopefully you know um, connect with people that is very 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 genuine. I agree, and for uh, for them to have to have gone through that the death of their brother so early in their life. I mean, that's, it's not easy. 
you know, and yeah. everybody, everybody is always worried about the parents, right? And, mm-hmm. and it was wonderful of both of you, you and your husband to really, truly understand that they had needs too, that they needed to, you know, be taken care of and shepherded, right. you know, through their grief. Because unfortunately, I find that too many siblings are not taken care of, you know, when a pa- when a parent or a sibling dies, you know, when a child. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. they go through feeling like they don't have a right to their grief. And it was really great to know that you did so much to make sure that they knew they were entitled to their grief and you worked Absolutely. with them. Absolutely. I commend they, As a matter of fact, thank you. I, I really do feel like I, I don't like to take all the credit. I, I feel like God gave me a purpose and he, he really did help me um, navigate this whole process. And I think he, he gave me some of that insight to make sure that I didn't lose sight of, of our whole picture. Right. Not, it wasn't just about Luca. It wasn't just about me and my grief and my feelings and my anxieties. You know, it, I had a lot to work through, but having everybody else so close and, and having them to worry about, you know, takes a little away from yourself. And that's a good thing sometimes when you, you need to put other people in front of you to keep going, to give you a reason to keep going, you know? Yes. And I, and they, they were definitely that for me. So I did, I did ask them to each write a little chapter in the book. So at the end of the book, um, I have sister's perspective. So they each wrote kind of a little account of their perspective of living with um, a sibling with cancer and, and then living with a sibling who passed. So they, they have beautiful little parts um, at the, at the in my book as well. Mm-hmm. I wanted and them, like you said, I wanted to give them a voice as well to share yes, their definitely. side of it. So tell us how he came to pass. How old was he? He was 11, right? He was 11. Yep. So we, uh, the last year of his life, we took while he was, well, we had two trips to Croatia as a family. Um, mm. The year before he was sick, uh, we went, we traveled with our, with our Croatian group that I kind of mentioned. Um, we went the year before he was sick. And then there was another uh, opportunity to go in 2018, which is when he passed away. So the beginning of that year, we had done what we decided with our medical team was going to be the last surgery, like the last time that we tried to resect a tumor because there's only so much a brain can take. And there's only so much, even just that the tissue where we kept having to go in um, could take without healing starting to be affected and, and, you know, things going south that way. Um, So we knew that this was going to be our last chance. So that being said, we tried another, um, we had the surgery. It was January 1st of 2018, actually New Year's day. Um, And then we tried a couple other, um, oral chemo meds. That's just how it played out because he got sick right after Christmas. And then that's just when everything played out. It was, it was, it was very strange. We spent New Year's Eve in the hospital uh, with, with, with tooting our horns and hats and everything. (laughs) (laughs) He had surgery the next day, but, um, we, we took him to Croatia, uh, that last year. 
And it, I, I look back at that and think, oh my gosh, you know, I, I hated to go up north if a kid, if one of them had a, you know, was sick with the sniffles or something, you know, I thought we were going to be too far away from society, but we, we took him to Croatia. We took medications. We gave him shots. Um, did you, did you bring the girls too? Him. Was it like a family? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yes. All of us did. Mm-hmm. And the girls and do you were have, participating. And do you have family that are still there? Like your grandparents? We or- do. Oh, that's great. Uh, not that close. Well, actually, Bob did. They passed on right now. But we, we do have um, aunts and uncles and, and cousins still there on both of our sides. That's mm-hmm. great. So it was Yeah, it was a very cool. Ex- it was a good experience. Um, we we're happy that we went. Some parts were were tough and he wasn't feeling the great greatest. You know, and like I said, looking back at it, I think, oh, we were crazy. But uh, <laughs> we had a mission. We had a mission to go. And one of the places we wanted to go to was Medjugorje. I'm not sure if you have ever heard of that. Um, it's a very holy place. In, in Yes. Yes, uh, I have. Where Blessed Mother has uh, appeared. appeared. She, it started it started years ago to children. She was appearing to children and now they're grown adults. And some of them still have the visions. But many healings happen there. And. We thought, well, let's let's uh, right. see if we can take a little trip there, and if nothing else, get some extra blessings. And again, you know, we're we're leaving no stone unturned. Um, so our doctor, they, I think at first they thought we were a little nuts. Thinking, <laughs> mm. I, I don't know that you've I've been just, so much. After you've been through so much, you probably thought to yourself, "What do we have to lose?" Right. I mean, you know, I, I kind of, you know, I don't know what we were thinking, to be honest with you. But uh, yeah, I think I, we just, we just, we wanted to have that last experience. And he really wanted to go. We didn't want the girls to miss out on, on, again, on the trip that they, you know, they had worked hard. This was part of, they were part of the group that was touring and um, they were going to performing there. Um, so, but we didn't also want to leave half of us home. You know, so we were like, it's all or nothing and we have to go. So, uh, so our doctor gave us the tools. He actually gave us his cell. He was awesome. He gave us our oncologist. He gave us his cell number. Just wow. if we had any questions, if we would need something, he'd be able to send us somewhere, you know? So it was, it was great. And it turned out to be, it turned out to be, thank God, fine. Um, and then by the time we came home after that summer, Luca started to decline much more. Uh, he was much more weak. Uh, we needed to get a wheelchair. He first started with a little, with a walker, hated it, hated to have to not be able to walk and to, to be so, feel so weak, but he knew it, you know, walking any distance, he was too tiring for him. And, uh, it was just getting, it was getting difficult. So we ended up getting a wheelchair and, um, in general, he was just becoming more weak. And so we knew it was a matter of time. And like I said, we were at this point just doing oral chemos and basically just keeping him comfortable and keeping him, you know, as pain-free as possible. Um, And he, he still was doing pretty well. And we got to, he, at at that, that fall, we decided, and he helped us make the decision. um, He wasn't going to go back to school. We were going to homeschool. And of course we knew that homeschool just meant, doing whatever online that, that interested him. And um, so he, we, we came up with a curriculum and the teachers were at school were still so helpful and, and, you know, were willing to do anything that we needed them to do for us. Um, So we did, we kind of did online schooling. 
and he wanted he we got him a guitar. He wanted to learn guitar at the end there. So we, we picked out a guitar for him and he he would like I said, he just still always wanted to challenge himself, give himself something new to look forward to. So we tried to tried to fulfill those wishes for him along the way. Um as he got weaker and could do less of his normal activities. So anyway, um we got to the holidays and he was he was doing okay. Um Christmas Day, he we celebrated Christmas. We went we, you know we did we did our celebrations on Christmas Eve, Christmas Day, and then literally it was the day after Christmas. He he was playing one of his cousins was over and they were playing um, a video game and all of a sudden Luca just did not feel good at all. And so he went um, into our room on the first level and he called me in and he said, Mom, I don't feel good. I can't breathe. So it, it hurts. You know, he was telling me that every his his back hurt really bad. His head hurt. Um, and he was almost in a panic. And we had a hospice nurse by this time. We had visiting nurses who so we called her and. Um, she came to check on him and he had developed pneumonia. So I, looking back, I think it was aspiration pneumonia. He was his swell because he was getting so weak. I believe that he probably aspirated and then that, right. that created, that was causing pneumonia. So, but at that point, she, after taking his vitals and everything and kind of looking at him, she said, I don't know if his body's going to be strong enough to fight this. Um, and so they weren't even going to bring in, they, she had contacted the doctors and kind of decided we don't even need to take him in to get an x-ray. We'll just treat the pneumonia mm -hmm. as it is. But early he took a turn for, uh, he kept him home. We had talked earlier about whether or not he wanted to be at home or go to the, to the hospital. And those are really odd, terrible, awful conversations to have. And it wasn't until kind of the very end where we, we sort of did talk through that with him and the girls again, you know, and we all decided that probably the hospital might be better. We would just all feel a little bit more comfortable. Um, but Luca wanted to be home. And as it happened, how quickly everything happened we really didn't even have time, nor did we feel it was worth disrupting his comfort, right? We just, he he was home, we were all around, family came to see him, and it was a very peaceful passing and so quick. I mean, he was, he went literally from being out with family on Christmas to two days later, three days later, passing away. And, and it, again, we look back at that and think, gosh, I've I've heard other stories, talk to other moms who who watch their child decline over months, maybe a year, so slowly and so painfully. Um, and for Luca, it was, it was pretty quick. You know, he wasn't in pain for a long time at all. And mm -hmm. just feel bus for that for sure. And the girls were home. It was, it was Christmas break. They weren't having to worry about getting up and going to school and wondering, or us thinking, are we sending them to school and they may never see their brother again, you know, right. so we, we didn't exactly. have to make any of those decisions. It just happened that quickly. So we, we were very fortunate that way. And it feels funny to say you're fortunate that your child died in the way he did, but really it, it was such a blessing because we didn't have to make so many decisions and choices. They were just sort of happened. Um, and it was very peaceful and, and, and he was comfortable and he was with us. And I guess there's, you know, I can't really ask for, for more than that, but it was the hardest thing ever for sure. But we're learning, we're learning. Uh, we have learned, we've worked through so much. Um, 
pain and and anger as much as I talk about God and and my belief and my strong belief trust me I had strong words with the man upstairs <laughs> I, was, I was not so I can grateful. appreciate um, that yeah you know it, I, you know it, it I'd have definitely moments all throughout where I was like you know begging for this to turn around and 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 change but afterwards I would say there was a period of time I couldn't even I couldn't pray I couldn't ask for God for anything. I was angry. I I was thinking, what's, what's the use I've asked for, I've asked for, you know, a break of this and we never got a break. It was, it was relentless. The tumor kept growing and growing and we didn't ever have a nice stretch of time, right. That, that we didn't have growth. We didn't have more than a year. So, so there, it took me, it took me, I think, well, until the third year where I think my heart started to sort of soften. Uh, That's when I started the book. I talk a lot in the book too, about how you know, you go through phases that first year, you're angry, but everything's still so raw, right? So you're the, the, his empty chair at the table, his empty, you know, no, no stocking to fill, no birthday present to buy, like all those firsts, they're so raw, but still seem so surreal. It still doesn't seem real. You still think you're in a bad dream. Right. Um, well, you're dealing with shock. Like, you're in shock and, you know, you know, and so you almost feel like you're in a bubble. You know, and when yep. the bubble starts yes. to dissipate, yes. that's when the real grief kicks in. I agree. I agree totally. I, so I, I, I talk about the second year. I feel like being worse. Yes, because yes. because all of a sudden it feels more real. Yes. It feels like this isn't changing. This, yeah, <laughs> we're doing this. Like I have to this deal with this now forever. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. For sure. I totally agree with that. And I've, I've, I have talked to other moms since that have lost their kids and they, they, everybody seems to sort of agree that, that, and then, and and then it's frustrating, right? Because you're expecting yourself to get better. It's getting worse. And then you are fearful that is this how it's going to be? Is it just going to continue to get worse and not get better? Am I never going to be happy again? Am I never allowed to smile again, laugh again? Right. Right. Find joy in things. Right. But, I, I I would like to say I'm here to say hang in there, <laughs> hang in there. You will, you will, right? I mean, yeah. we're we're proof of that, and just you can you. I think like I always say, you have to give yourself those moments, give yourself that space to still grieve whenever you need to, to still feel those feelings of loss and to remember child, and 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 feel them, but always come back and and give it your all to make the next day a better day and and keep moving forward. They, they, I believe our kids want us to do that. I 100% believe they don't want us to be sad for them. Luca, Luca told me so much. Did he? Uh, that was, a, yeah, uh, right. Right when we kind of, this this almost could be a nice wrap up. He, um, he, when we decided, again, kind of, kind of with him in so many words that there was no more treatment to be mm-hmm. tried that, mm-hmm. that wouldn't, because he, he, he pretty much told us, if I'm going to go through things that are going to make me feel worse, that are going to take more of my ability away and still not cure me, why? Yeah. It's not worth it. You know, he told us that. So um, we had had a great day at our state fair. We we had, and, and we were, came home, we were all tired. He was on the, on the couch with his iPad and he was researching some of the other chemos that we were looking at unbeknownst to us. He oh, wow. found a paper. Yeah, we had, this was, this was our kid. He was very resourceful and he, you know, he's, he was, 
he was curious. He was looking up some of the the chemos. And that's when he told us that like, these are terrible. There's more bad side effects than there is good. What, you know, like he's, and this is an 11 year old kid. That's amazing, um, isn't it? When you think about uh, it, he, he really was wise beyond his years. I think he packed in a lot, you know, like we got we got a lot given to us in that short amount of time to make up for what, well, it's never going to make up for what we aren't getting, but you know, it, yeah. Um, so anyway, in the strangest I went to way he had a very full life. Would you yeah. say that? Yes. Yes, for sure. For sure. We always thought, even when he was little, before he was sick, we always thought he was sort of an old soul, you know, <laughs> he, he didn't have, did have a great way to connect with older folks and they love talking to him and he would sit and talk with older folks, you know, just as easily as he would talk to his peers. I think he preferred people a little bit older than him. Actually. <laughs> so, so anyway, that night after he had done this research, I was putting, we're taking him to sleep and I laid down with him and we were talking and he started sort of talking about what he will do with what he will be when he grows up, what he will study and all this. And I, and I think he was sort of feeling me out, you know, I think he, cause he still talked about the future, but yet we knew he knew that wasn't going to happen. You know, right. like it, it, like I said, it was such a it was such a strange thing because you 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 had these conversations, but you didn't say things out loud. But yet we somehow knew, right? Mm-hmm. And so anyway, he starts talking about this, and I and I can't hold it in. I'm crying, and I'm laying there with him, and he knows I'm crying, and he says, and he and he hugs me tighter, and he says, "Mom, I'm gonna be okay. No matter what, I'm gonna be okay." Oh my God! He knew. He knew he had such faith that he was going to be in a better place, you know? And, and so then I'm crying harder and he says, mom, I just want you to be okay. I need to know you're going to be okay. Uh-huh. I, he said, I want you to still be happy. And I was like, Oh buddy, I don't know if I can promise you that right now. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and then he said, he said, I will, I'll still be able to see you. I'll still be able to say hi to you. And I was like, what? And he said, it might not be me. But I might be an animal. I might be a dog or a bird. <laughs> I was like, he said, I'll still be able to to see you and say hi to you sometimes. Wow. So we sort of like, okay, so we sort of left it at that. But he does. He does. And I talk a lot about that in the book, signs that I get from this kid. I have such strong feelings sometimes. It started with a bunny in Arizona on a spring break. <laughs> <laughs> That I encountered on a walk when I was on a walk one early morning. And I had such a strange sense that this bunny in the desert was Luca. And he was just, I got, I was able to get so close to it and take pictures of it. And I was talking to this bunny and I'm crying. And luckily nobody else was around to see me because they would have thought, what is this lady doing with this rabbit? But uh, <laughs> I, I couldn't walk away from it. I couldn't walk away from it. And I finally said something like, you know, Luca, you got to go because I'm going to stay here the whole day. And dad's going to wonder where I am, you know, <laughs> and, and then the bunny eventually hopped away. But it, I, since then have had, we've had but more bunnies in our yard than we ever did living in this house. And, oh, and they wow. just appear. Yeah. We, I, we have, we, and there's different, different types of signs that we see, but I'm telling you, I, I do believe that that God's letting us keep that connection and he's letting us keep that Lucas spirit close to us. And I think the girls and Bob in the beginning thought I was a little losing it. <laughs> oh, Carol Ann, what are you, what's going on? But now, 
how they see the bunnies and they will tell me, mom, I was out, I was, I was walking to class and I was about to take an exam and I saw a bunny. I think it was Luca giving me good luck, you know, or, you know, so, <laughs> so he's sharing It can be really comforting. Us. All those kind of signs. Oh, oh my God. They mm-hmm. can be so comforting. We used to have a yes. situation where uh, we had a little music box in our living room and it had a picture of the first rose that her father had ever given me. Uh-huh. And I never touched that music box. Okay. I never touched the music box and it was very small. And all of a sudden we'd be having dinner one night and there it starts playing out of nowhere. And I was like, hi, Angela, you know, yeah. it's just, that's yeah. what happened. I think, yep. It's beautiful. It's a beautiful thing. I, I think when you have a strong connection like you do with your children, I what a blessing, right? I, I I think it's them telling us they're okay and they 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 are still with us and they want us to be they want us to be okay. I think so too. And because we, you know, our faith uh, believes in, you know, something more than just here. Mm-hmm. I yeah. really do believe that, you know, they're waiting for us, you know, they're mm-hmm. there. And from all the books I've read and people I've known who have told me, you know, that mm-hmm. they've gone to heaven and God said, no, not yet, you know, and they come mm-hmm. back, but their family is always waiting for them at the end of the life. Right. I love that. Right. You can't have that many people tell you the same story and not believe. I agree. I agree. I read a lot of books too after. I think that was one thing that I did that really helped me in the, in the beginning, you know, when I didn't really want to talk to people, you didn't want to hear yep. everybody's advice, but I read a lot, you know, a lot of things on heaven, a lot of things about signs and, and kind of just needing that reassurance that, yep. that it, like you said, hearing other people's stories and, and wanting to believe that so badly and you know you you want to always know where your kids are you want that text saying i arrived <laughs> and okay, mom. yes and, and, and we, we don't necessarily get that the normal way but i you know I, I think i read so much looking for that to be open to the signs and to be open to those to those little messages of saying i'm okay yes. i'm i've arrived i'm okay i'll see you again you know, you're, you're, there's going to be time in between. And, and, and I think, you know, when we first met, we talked a little bit about whether or not you're afraid to die, whether or not you're, you know, if this changes that, um, I think Luca's faith and his strong belief that he was going to be okay, that he, like, he knew he was going somewhere better, right. He knew there was more than this life here. And how would he know that? You know, I don't know. How would he be, how would he have such a strong sense? And, and I just, I now have a greater belief to it. It reaffirmed my, my faith. And now that's what I look forward to. And I, I think, well, this kid's waiting for us. He's, he, he, you know, he knew, and I'm not, I'm not going to rush the rest of my life. I, there's sure. still so many things I, I want to do with the girls. I, I want to see what, how their lives and their careers play out. I'm so excited for them. And I want to be part of that and love to be a grandma someday, you know, (laughs) I don't want to rush any of that, but at the same time, I guess when it is my time, I'm, I'm not fearful of it. I'm yes. You know, and you, you sort of do learn to kind of, you give that up. That's it's Mm -hmm. whenever God 
calls us, you know, and we we do learn that hard lesson of uh, not my will, but But his will be done. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And what is that saying? When um, we make all our plans, God laughs. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Right. I try to be, I try to remind myself of that because, you know, I'm just a planner. (laughs) No, isn't that funny? I, I do think like sometimes I stop and and say to myself, Caroline, if you didn't learn by now that you can't control these situations, that, that it's not up to you. If yes. you still don't know that, something's wrong with you. I know. <laughs> but we 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 have to remind ourselves because we still, you know, we're we're still human, right? Yes, we are. And and control is one of the things, especially through the grieving process, that is very aggravating. <laughs> Because you want to be able to, you know, deal with all that comes. You want to be able to make the decisions to make yourself feel better or do things or not do things. And, you know, there are just days you get up and you can't barely get out of bed, you know. And then there are other times where you're like, we're going to keep doing this. You know, it might not be pretty and, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, my face might be all puffy with red eyes, but I'm going to keep going (laughs) because I don't really have a choice, you know? Right. Right. For sure. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm always curious. I I like to talk to other moms to get their experiences and, and, you know, and maybe the reassurance that it's normal for us to have those days always, you know, I mean, you, we will have those days. Everybody has those days, regardless of, you know, if they've been through what we've been through, but I feel like we, we may have them a little more often, but, and we may have them maybe a little, you know, differently, differently, but we find a way to, to keep going, you know, push through it, not push through it, I guess, but keep going. Yes. Keep Keep going. going. Even if it's not perfect, it'll never be perfect. Right. And one day, Right. right. One day can be completely different than another, you know, and no matter how many things we have on our to-do list, there are just some days where we will not get through them. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and we yeah. have to give ourselves, have a- we have to give ourselves the grace, right? Yes. To be For able sure. to um, let it go. You know, yeah. I find that hard. I really do. Even to this day. It is. I, hard. I do too. I do too. Another saying that I that I heard along the way um, was that you know so you you don't always wake up with a hundred percent in the tank. <laughs> so if you giving your a hundred percent, only be forty because if that's all you woke up with that day, you know. But you're you're still giving it your all. You're still trying. You're still in it to to do your best on that day. It may not always be a hundred percent, and that's that's okay because it might have been your hundred percent that day. That's what it, you have. Oh, that's a very good way to put it because that's what I was thinking. That's all I have. That's what I can do, and I'm going to have to accept the fact that I'm not a hundred percent. Yep, and be okay with it. You know, be okay, be okay with okay it. With right, Carolyn, this has been wonderful. Thank you for sharing so much of your journey and Luca and please hold up your book. I want everyone to see your book. (laughs) So this is her beautiful book called Luca's light and you can get it on Amazon. And she also has a Facebook group or Facebook page, I should say. Right. Mm -hmm. And I'll put all that in. 
I'll put all those things, all those links in the show notes so that you can go and learn more about her, her son and her family and all the wonderful love and uh, light that Luca brought to everyone's life. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I really, really appreciate it. You're quite welcome. God bless. 